So every day of our lives, we are, oftentimes we feel like we're getting pulled in multiple directions at one time. You know, we have uh, family responsibilities. Most, many of us have uh, work and even maybe church responsibilities pulling us in a direction. And sometimes even friends need help or assistance. And so sometimes we're left wondering, what's really important in life and where are my priorities? The passage that uh, was just read and we're going to examine today in Luke forces us to make a decision about what kind of life do we want. Most of us would say, well, I I want the life that's full and abundant. I want the good life. But what is the good life? Is the definition of the good life the American dream? Well, Jesus takes some time this morning in this passage, and uh, what he has for us today is really relevant today because one of the main priorities in life for many people in America today is to attain enough money to live what they think is the good life. And we're bombarded in the media with all kinds of messages about the pursuit of stuff. You know, bigger and better homes, newer cars, uh, better technology, you know, better TVs, computers, phones. You just name the technology that you want to list. Um, And so uh, the coolest recreational toys. And if I were to ask you right now, and just in your mind, think about what's the one thing that you don't have that you wish you had? You know, all of us have usually something that we can think about that we want. That message is taken everywhere in our culture today. No matter what one possesses, someone else seems to have something that's bigger, better, or different. And Jesus calls us to a new vision, a different vision for the good life. The problem that he challenges is the idea that more possessions will resolve our fears of one day not having enough. Regardless of how much wealth is stored up for the future, this gnawing fear kind of presses into our our frail humanity and the security lies within it. Jesus warns us, though, that life, that true life, is not available in the pursuit of material goods alone. Our desires for more are never going to be fully satisfied by things in this world. Jesus, in this section of Scripture, is in the middle of a sermon. He's teaching his disciples to fear God alone. And when he's suddenly interrupted by a man in the crowd who's dissatisfied over what he considers to be an unfair division of the inheritance uh, from his brother. And I find it oddly comforting that Jesus could not keep everyone's attention either. This guy interrupted him in the middle of the message. And so this is what he says, this guy with a little bit of ADD. In verse 13, he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And down through history... You can look and see that the fight over estates with or without a will have split many families over years. The man didn't really ask Jesus uh, for a decision on what would be a fair division of the inheritance. He just demanded, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus didn't answer the man as he was expected. And he did that a lot. Have you noticed that? That Jesus would get asked a question and he would give a different response than either the person or the crowd expected. In verse 14, he says to the man, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Jesus refuses to be sidetracked from his mission of seeking and saving the lost. Instead, Jesus doesn't make a legal judgment, but he makes a moral one. Jesus knew that this family feud over the inheritance was only a symptom of a greater problem. And the greater problem, he gets right after it in the, in the story, is greed. In fact, the you in verse 14 is plural. It's not singular. And so he's basically pointing out that not just the one brother, but most likely both brothers had a problem with greed. 
And as long as both brothers are suffering uh, from greed, no settlement's going to be satisfactory in their relationship. Jesus tells him the most important thing is not for him to solve his problem, but that his heart would be changed. But if we're honest, how often do we go to God and we ask God to resolve a problem or a situation, and how rarely do we probably go to him and say, God, uh, maybe you need to change my heart in this situation or in this problem. And perhaps our prayer should be, God, here's my problem. Uh, Would you change my heart towards the problem? So in verse 15, Jesus said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of of possessions. That's countercultural. That goes way against the grain in our own culture, but also 2,000 years ago when Jesus was giving this instruction. The area of danger for this man, again, was greed. How, do, how would we define greed? I, I liked one of the definitions I saw this week. Wanting more of what you already have enough of. That's greed. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-six speaks to this very problem when it says, they are, they are always greedy for more, while the godly love to give. The writer of Ecclesiastes says about the greedy, those who love money will never have enough, How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. But isn't that exactly what we think sometimes? We think more will be better and we're going to be happier. How many of us think if we could just win the lottery, then I want to try living the good life if I had all that money, right? Beginning in verse 16 is what is referred to as the parable of the rich fool, where where Jesus gives us some principles of what happens when our hearts are focused exclusively on ourselves. So one of the principles is when we're focused on ourselves, we do not give God the credit for what he has done. In verse 16, this is what Jesus said. He said, he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And at this, the farmer looked at his amazing harvest and he didn't see the hand of God involved in it. He only saw his own efforts. Jesus said the ground was what produced the abundant harvest, not the farmer. And many of the farmers, if we talk to them today, we've got some in our congregation. We live in an agricultural area. If we were to talk to some of them, they would tell you that you can plant at the right time. You can uh, fertilize at the right time. You can um, uh, uh, do a weed control at the right time. But you can't control other factors. There are factors beyond your control. Like if the, if the ground doesn't get enough moisture when it needs moisture, then your crop is going to fail. Uh, if you get a big windstorm before harvest... You're going to have problems with that crop. There's so much out of the farmer's control. And yet, this guy just really didn't understand that he was blessed to have such an abundant yield in his harvest. And it makes me think about, you know, sometimes farmers, they'll, they'll do it all right, and, it, and all the timing comes together really well, and they just have an amazing harvest. And it goes so well. And it just makes me think about in, this, in the Scripture where it talks about the Lord gives and the Lord takes away Blessed be the name of the Lord. And yet this farmer or this rich farmer is a perfect example example of greed because he has much and he expects to get even more. Which leads to another principle. When we are focused on ourselves, we make plans, but we leave God out of the plans. Starting again in verse 17, uh, Jesus goes on and he thought to himself saying, What shall I do? I have no room to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. 
He has no place to store the abundance that he has been given. And he displays no awareness that his bumper crop is a gift from God. And, this, and also that he might be responsible to use it in, in the way that the true owner might direct him to use it. No, he sees it as his crop. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of his employees who had done and will do more work. They, you know, he's not talking about any of those individuals. Rather, he only knows my crop, my barns, my field, my yield, my goods, my soil. Are you picking a theme up here? Mine, mine, mine. It's all mine. Kind of sounds like a two-year-old, doesn't it? But, you know, as I was thinking about that this week, I also was thinking how often do we go to the Lord, and, or we don't, we don't go to the Lord, but we're looking at all the things that we have, and we have the same kind of attitude as a two-year-old. Mine, mine, mine. See, we, we probably sound a little bit like a two-year-old to God when we talk like that. The rich man is confused between ownership and stewardship. It's not ours to own, it's ours to loan. Which leads to another principle. When we're focused on ourselves, we consider spending our resources only on ourselves. And he goes on, he says, And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. In essence, he believed that the accumulation of his possessions would literally satisfy himself physically, but also that would bring joy to the deepest longings in his own life. Basically, the deepest longings of his soul, he believed, were going to be satisfied because he had all these possessions. He is convinced that this is as good as life gets. And he imagines that a person created in the image of God can be fully satisfied with possessions, with enough food and drink that he didn't have to worry. But we, want to need, we need to hear the psalmist's words, who says, as, as a heart longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for God. Friends, our souls thirst for God. St. Augustine is famous for saying, my soul is restless until it rests in thee, in God. So the soul of every human being will not be fully satisfied until it rests with God. The The rich man's attitude reflects the attitude of the world, doesn't it? Get as much as you can. Collect as many possessions as you can. You never know if you have enough. You better get more. When you have a great year, keep it all. Hoard it. Because you never know if you're going to have enough eventually. That's the world's philosophy of getting and living the good life. But it's a philosophy of the rat race. The collecting and the hoarding and the competing never ends. And you're never sure you have enough. And you always want more. And you always want the newest and the best. And it never ends until it ends. And you have to leave it behind for somebody else to enjoy and for somebody else to chase the mirage of the good life with more stuff. Jesus tells us a little bit later that the kingdom of God has a different view. You want to experience the good life in God's kingdom? When you have an abundance, practice radical generosity. Give it away. Give it to somebody who has a need. If it's a gift from, it's a gift from God anyway. How does God want us to steward the resources he gives to us? It's a question we should be asking on a regular basis as we journey through this life. If we have all that we need, then give it to help others. When we practice kingdom generosity, then our souls will know complete joy and peace. Then we'll know not just the good life, but we'll know the best of life. 
You know, when I was in college, I had a, a buddy that was a, a, a believer, a Christian, and uh, he shared a story with me at some point in our relationship that just really always was an impression on me about radical kingdom generosity. So when he was growing up, his family uh, was, would always take vacations every summer, and they would uh, usually go away for two weeks, and they would save all year long so they could get away as a family for two weeks on really just some great vacations. He said it was always a blast, and they, they went and saw amazing things, and he said just that connection as a family was just priceless. And he said one time when I was a kid, we decided we were going to save up to go to Walt Disney World, the mecca of vacations for a kid, right? Walt Disney World. He said, I was so excited. And we've been saving up all year long. And about a month before we were supposed to go on the vacation, uh, he said that they had some very close family friends who the dad had started a new business a couple years ago, a carpet business, selling carpet. And he had done well initially, but this was the mid to late 70s. And all of a sudden, the interest rates on business loans went from about 6 or 7% to 18%. And this guy just couldn't make the payments on his business anymore. He had to close his business. He lost everything. The, the family, I was told, had to take bankruptcy. They just didn't have anything. And he said the, the, one of the problems they were aware of is being family friends was their oldest daughter had started college the year before, had done one year of college, and they didn't have any resources for her to be able to go back for her second year of college. And he said his mom and his dad, they, he kinda, they, they began to talk about, well, we have some extra resources. We've been saving money for this vacation. They began to wonder if maybe we should use some of this money to help her go to college. So then they went to my friend and his sister, and they said, look, you know the situation with this family that we're close to? And, and they said, we're wondering if maybe we should take some of this, this money that we've been saving for our vacation and give it so that this girl can go back for her second year of college. And my friend said it was really hard because he said, we love this family and we were so close to this, this girl. And he said, we wanted to help her, but he said, to be honest with you, I wanted to go to Walt Disney World. And so he said, we just really wrestled with that for a few days. And he said, I knew where this was heading. But he said, ultimately, they all agreed. He said, even I agreed that we should give that money to her so she could go to college. And they actually did it through the dad. It was anonymous. The girl never knew that this family gave them, gave them the money. She was just able to go to college. She never knew where it came from. And he said the amazing thing was, it was hard. He said, we, we went camping in Colorado in the mountains. And he said, we did a vacation for about 200 bucks. And he said, it was still good, but it wasn't Walt Disney World. But he said the great thing was in three years, he said they were able to attend this girl's graduation because they were good family friends. And he said, I was in middle school by that time, and he said, I can still remember just how full of joy I was to know that we had helped her accomplish this life goal and that we had been a part of that, and we had given out of our abundance to help her accomplish this amazing goal. And that story just always stuck with me. That's what... What abundance, that's what God wants us to do with our abundance. That's what his kingdom generosity looks like. So back to the story, the man, the, man, the rich man, thought that, that when he put his plan into place, building all the, bar, the barns and, and storing the extra grain, uh, that he would have it made for years to come. But all of that was based on the, on the fact that he believed that, that he was going to be able to control the fate of his crops in the future and even be able to control the fate of his own life moving forward, but nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible doesn't discourage us from making and looking to the future with greater expectation. However, as we make our plans, whether in business or in relationships or personally in our lives, we should do so from the perspective 
that ultimately God is in charge. In other words, we need a plan with humility. Which leads to another principle from the parable. When we're focused on ourselves, we store our treasure in the wrong places. In verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. God said literally, you fool. You know, when God says you're a fool, you better pay attention to what's gone wrong. He goes on and says, this night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The man, again, is pronounced a fool by God. He's a fool in that he did not recognize that his material blessings came from God, nor did he recognize any obligation to God in the use of his possessions. Fools leave God out of, out of the equation. They live him out of their lives. Greed is the logical result of the belief that there is no life after death. We grab what we can, while we can, when we can, however we can, and then we hold on to it as hard as we can. To be a fool is, is, is to have missed the point of life. The remarkable thing is that this rich man that God calls a fool, so many people in our culture would look at that man and say, what a success. Are you picking up a difference between the world's view and, and the kingdom view? Jesus says, this very night, your life, your soul, will be demanded of you. And suddenly he discovers that his soul, his life, was not his own. But it was on uh, on loan from God. In the Greek text, the, the phrase, your soul is demanded of you, is the language of the demand of return of a loan. Something lent to you for a period of time. And this is one of the major truths of Scripture, that life is not a right, it's a gift. It's a gift on loan from God. We have no right, whether it's 10 days or 90 years. Each day is a gift. It's a loan then we thank God, we praise God for each and every day. Hear what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Since you cannot take it with you, there's no need to wear ourselves out accumulating it. Everything you have will one day be left behind. It's yours now to use or abuse. But one day it will be taken from you and you will stand before the Lord and give an account for how you used it. We would do well to remember the words of a missionary, Jim Elliott, who, uh, who said at one point, he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The kingdom of God indicates that the key to the abundant life is not collecting, it's not hoarding as much as we can for our own pleasure and our own security. No, one of the keys to the kingdom is practicing radical generosity. Again, as Jim Elliott said, to give what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. And so many of you are already practicing kingdom generosity. You're walking in that direction. You're, you've seen the vision that Jesus has given of the good life through generosity, and you're, you're learning how to give what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. There's so much great ministry happening through, our, through your generosity to the church. We have an amazing church facility that ministers to so many people, church people, but also part of your generosity is a vision that this building, this resource is not just for us, but it's also for people in the community. 
We have people in our community, groups in our community, that come and use our facility. And the amazing thing is it gives us an opportunity to build a relationship with them and to bless them uh, with what God has given us. And so that's just awesome. That is a kingdom generosity viewpoint. You know, we also have over 15 local uh, uh, partnerships with Christian organizations or individuals like the Rescue Mission, like the Pregnancy Service Center, like Hope House, and I could go on and list all of them, all of these organizations, all of these groups of people uh, making a kingdom difference in people's lives because of your generosity. You know, we've got over 25 national and international mission partners uh, that our church supports that are the hands and the feet of Christ in throughout the United States, but also all over the world. And these partners are taking the gospel to people in the United States and even in different parts of the world that wouldn't know about Christ's love for them if we weren't helping these partners take the gospel to these folks. It's happening because of your generosity. In fact, we have one of our mission partners, international mission partners that's here today. I mentioned earlier that Marta Klein is here with us today. I'm going to invite Marta to come up with me. And I'm going to allow her to share a little bit about uh, what she's been doing in in the Congo and what she's going to be doing when she goes back and to just speak to a little bit about how our partnership with her is touching lives in a part of the world that most of us will never see, know, or experience. And so, Marta, you've been a missionary for in Congo for probably at least five years and serving especially in medical missions. Can you share a little bit about what you have been doing and what you have done through your mission work? Thank you. Yeah, I have been a missionary with Covenant Church since 2011, and I've lived in the DRC since 2000, Democratic Republic of Congo, sorry, since 2011 uh, for a total of five years. And I am a physician assistant here in the States, but I have been able to do a lot of different things like work in the pediatrics ward, and I've helped do education classes for nutrition in different health centers, and I've trained a nurse to run the nutrition department at the Carroll Hospital. I've been able to deliver a few babies, and um, I've been working a lot with Paul Carlson Partnership when they bring doctors and nurses and other health care providers over to Congo. I've been able to help with translation and um, helping them do their workshops and seminars when they come. Good. And so improved medical care and health care is really making a difference in a lot of people's lives in that yeah, area of is. Congo, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Marta, you came back a little, almost a year ago, and you've been back for a while. And um, kind of as you came back, you weren't quite clear on what you were supposed to do and if you were supposed to go back and if it was to Congo. And you've kind of been in a process of discerning, and you've since you've, you've sensed some clarity on that. And could you share with us what you're called to do moving forward? Yeah, I came back. I left Congo on October 21st. It was a year ago to the day. And I came back, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I, through a lot of prayer and talking with the office in Chicago, I really feel like everything just came back to life and ministry in Congo. And so I, I want to go back, and I, my hope is to return in February of 2019. And I'm working right now to raise funds to return. I Right now I'm currently... Um, I have about $650 per month left to raise, and that equals to about 85% um, for my budget to go back to Congo. And when I go back, I'm hoping to work more with Paul Carlson Partnership. Our goal is for me to travel to the different health centers in the region, working with the nurses at those health centers, 
helping them understand nutrition a little bit better and treating severe malnutrition at the community level, as well as working with the doctors and nurses at the hospital level and working uh, with them on vital signs, diabetes, uh, women's health issues, and a program to help care for premature newborns. So just I want to make sure I want to clarify when you say you need $650 a month still. Yes. You've already raised 85%. Yes. And that represents 15% that you still need. Yes. Is that accurate? Okay, great. So can you talk a little bit, share a little bit with us about what your needs are and how we might be able to support you from this point moving forward as a church? Yeah, I'm very grateful for this church because, one, I've been attending this church for a long time, and I know a lot of you, but there are a lot of new people that I don't know. And I'm very grateful for how this church has supported me, not just financially, but in prayer. And I'm looking for people to support me in prayer as well. If you can't um, manage to financially support me, I am willing to speak with you about that. I am a single woman uh, working in an area that is very difficult. And I really enjoy getting cards and letters and emails from people and communicating that way. I have a blog, um, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook to communicate with people. And I just, um, I'm looking for partners right now to, um, to be on my team to help me financially, but also in the emotional aspect of being a missionary. We appreciate you letting us know kind of what your needs are. And just so the congregation knows, we have supported MARTA in the past as a missionary. And our outreach board has uh, made a recommendation as a part of our budget for 2019 to support MARTA as well for $3,600 a year. So that's part of your 85% that you're hoping. So anyway, my only request is please come to the meeting and vote in favor of supporting MARTA by $3,600 so we can confirm if that's possible or not. So... Um, but also, you went back to Congo just a few weeks ago, and you were able to go visit our clinic, which is in a really super remote area, and not very many people have been to that clinic from the United States. Can you give us an update on, we are in a partnership with Paul Carlson partnership, uh, with a covenant uh, clinic initiative, and so we're supporting one clinic in a very remote area of the Congo. We have been for the last three years. Can you give us an update on what's happened through that partnership? Yeah, if you can bring up uh, the pic- first picture on the screen. So this is Bienvenu. He is the nurse at the clinic, of the Ndongba Clinic, which is about six miles away from the Wasolo Hospital. I'm sure you've heard, maybe have heard of that hospital. Tom Fisty has been there several times. And um, this nurse was actually part of our training. I traveled with to a doctor and a nurse, and we were able to go to the Wasolo Hospital. We flew... Um, almost directly there. <laughs> we flew to a, a town about 25 uh, kilometers or a little bit 12 miles or so uh, away from Wasolo. And we were able to train 18 nurses and in two courses that will help improve the care of newborns in that region. And Bianmanu was a part of our group, and he is um, the head nurse at the Ndangba Clinic. So in this picture, you can see the clinic does have four solar panels, and that is a result of your giving to the Paul Carlson Partnership, and they've been able to provide these solar panels to help with electricity. And the next slide. And they've also been able to have a solar fridge. So those are the two things that they've been working on the last few years for this Congo Clinic Initiative through Paul, Carl- Paul Carlson Partnership. And so this is a great expression of the kingdom generosity that 
Pastor Wes has been talking about this morning, and your church has been generous in giving, and this is an active expression of that kingdom generosity. Uh, Being able to provide electricity and refrigeration at these clinics is helping improve the health care that's being done in these really remote areas. Next slide. So he was at at the hospital getting trained, and he was able to get supplies. So this is a a really stocked uh, cabinet full of medications and supplies. Next slide. And they have built another building to help with health care in this region. They have two buildings, one for um, consultations, and then this building that's behind the kids in this photo, this is for uh, monitoring patients who are not well enough to go home. They can be observed overnight. There's a bed and then the medications that you saw in the previous picture. Next slide. And they have a great garden that is right beside the clinic, and they're um, doing demonstrations on gardening and farming techniques. And while we were there, they were harvesting some greens that were growing in the garden. Next slide. And at the end of our visit, I was able to sit down with the community leaders and the nurse, and we were just talking about the different needs of the clinic and the community. And it was great to talk with them and hear them. And I was expressing joy in visiting them, and I told them I was a representative from this church since I'm a member of this church, and um, giving them greetings from you. And they were uh, receiving those with joy and giving greetings back and said, when I come back, to be sure and give big greetings. So, mbote monene from that uh, area. We'll trust you with that. We're not quite sure what that meant, but Tom knows. What yeah, I'm but we'll about. take it. We'll take it on your word. So we will uh, gladly receive that greeting from uh, this part of Congo and from the clinic, the folks that are connected to the clinic. And if you're ever able to make it back, can you again reciprocate and tell them how much of a joy it has been to partner in helping improve the clinic and to be able to partner in what they're being able to do through better health care in that region. So it's been awesome. So. Now, I also want to say thank you to the congregation because of your generosity. Just think about this two different scenarios. Uh, There could be a clinic in this remote area of Congo that has no electricity and no refrigeration for medications. Would you like to go to that clinic or would you rather go to a clinic that has electricity and has refrigeration for medication that might actually help you? You'd like the second one, wouldn't you? And you guys have helped make that possible. So this is impacting lives. This is helping people uh, in practical ways and demonstrating the love of Christ. So thank you so much for your generosity. And thank you, Marta, for sharing with us. And can you get, show her our support as one of our mission partners? Thank you. And Marta is just a rich resource, and we have a, a lot of partnership with what's happening in Congo. And we, I want to encourage you, please come to the lunch, learn more about what her Uh, mission focus is and if you have some questions either about the clinic initiative or about covenant kids congo she's going to know more than i know and uh, has been right there seeing some of those things that's been happening so i want to encourage you to come to the lunch and and check that out so real quickly as we kind of wrap this up uh one last uh, kind of uh, uh, priority that i think we can pick up from this parable is that when we're focused on ourselves we find ourselves in conflict with God's plan for our lives. Look at the last verse, 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Have you ever noticed that that riches uh, have one major weaknesses? 
They have no purchasing power after death. They don't. And so I think Jesus is really getting to a, a significant issue in our lives and in our culture, and it hasn't changed much in 2,000 years, right? It's an issue of are we going to try to gain as much as we can, hoping it's going to provide security and bring happiness or pleasure to our life, or are we going to have a kingdom perspective, and as abundance comes to us, really understand that all of this is a gift from God, and, and that we have an opportunity to practice kingdom, this kingdom characteristic of radical generosity. And to know that we serve a God who's good and a God who's faithful and a God who's given us the whole kingdom. He's given us the gift of the kingdom. He's given us the gift of this kingdom that's going to last for all of eternity. We're just practicing what's going to happen for the rest of eternity. And so my encouragement for all of us is is to continue to walk toward this kingdom characteristic of radical generosity and away from this characteristic that's in our world that focuses on greed that's going to bring pleasure. But that pleasure and that security will ultimately be an empty thing. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this word that you've given to us. Your word is so good. And God, we're grateful for this message that comes to us that Christ shared about possessions and about the danger of greed and the warnings that he gives to us. And God, we're grateful that you're a good God and a faithful God and a generous God. That you provide all that we need and way more than we need. And God, we live in a country that has much abundance. And sometimes, God, it's hard for us to realize that we have so much. So, Father, help us to really continue to move into a kingdom paradigm on possessions. Help us to see that these all these things that we have are gifts from you and, and that you're really the owner and we're the steward. And help us, God, to make good and wise decisions about the use of those resources so that we can help build your kingdom and we can help people uh, who can find Christ and live into all that Christ has for them. And God, that would be our prayer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as we respond to the word we just